God. This morning, if you are here and you have a need in your body, something is physically wrong with you, sick, whatever it might be, I want you to listen to the word here this morning. We want to minister to you on the, at the end of the service. If you have anything going on, we serve a God who is the healer. Amen. We sometimes have lost sight of that, but we serve a God who is a healer. Yes. And we're going to take some time to minister to those who would, would like such to be done. We're going to have that going on. If any of our visitors that are here with us today, if we have any that are in the 7th through 12th grades, and you would like to go with the group that is going over to Wegmans. It's just a little bit down the road over here. We have a little uh, study that we do for you that's tailored around to the things that you may face as you go through life. If you would like to do that, all we ask is that the parents sign a permission slip. And we will bring them back here before the service is over. They'll be over, they have a little lounge area that they let us use down at Wegmans for, the, for such a purpose. So if you would like to do that, you're welcome to stay here as well. But if you'd like to go along, our ushers are in the back and they have some of the permission slips that we, we need for that. And so uh, Brother Keith is over here. He's going to be one of the ones taking everyone on over. So just, uh, just follow Mr. Keith if you'd like to go on back and be part of, of that group that's going out there and do that. Before we get started in the work here this morning, I just wanted to bring up, we all know what had gone on down in Texas in the church, and it's not the first time that a church shooting has gone on. And we just want to let you all know, in case you get nervous or think about some of those things, and it's not going on in every church, and it's not going on all the time, and it's not because of this incident, but I just want you all to know that we have things in place to make sure that this doesn't happen here. It goes on silently. It goes on without anybody seeing anything that's going on, what's happening here. But I just want you to know we have folks trained up. We have things in place. We have talked it over with the police. We have gone over all the procedures. We have done this. We have renewed it every... every uh, couple of years, I sat down with one of the police officers and said, look, this is what we're ready to do. This is what we're prepared to do. How does this sound? And we talked it over with them. We've talked to them about how they would approach the building if anything like that would go on. Nothing like here is new to us. We're prepared for it. We don't expect it to ever happen. We don't want it to ever happen. But I just want you to know, if you're thinking about things like that, um, we, we have things in place to make sure that it doesn't happen here. So I hope that sets you at ease if you think about all those kind of things because, you know, people are trying to come against public areas and, uh, and, to, and to do that. I take it personal that we want to make sure that your safety is taken care of. So we have those things going on. And that goes on week after week. Most of you don't even know anything has happened. We talk to the folks that are involved and, and the things that are, that are happening and we have, uh, have that sort of stuff going on. We're going to be over in the book of Jeremiah. Last week we started talking about, we've been on a series for some time here now, talking about, you know, when we go to God and we ask, how many have ever asked God, how many asked God for something this week? How many went to God and asked Him and said, God, I need, and you told Him what it was you needed. We go to God and we ask Him for things, and so we started this series up because not everything is in the hands of God. And if we're asking God for things that are not in His hands, how can God give them to us? And of course the spiritual answer, the religious answer is, well, God has everything. God has everything, doesn't he? If God has everything, well, then God will just give it to me. And so we go to God and we ask for it. But God does not have everything. There are some things that are out of the hand of God. And this we know from the Word of God. If something belongs to someone else, that's not in the hand of God. I can't ask God and say, God, give me your house. 
give me your car. That's your car. That's your house. God's not going to give me your car. He's not going to give me your house because that's yours. But there's other things. And we spent about eight weeks looking at how we pray to God for things that are in someone else's hands. And if you weren't here for any of that and you want to go back and get it, it's all available for free. Just go up on our website, podcast it, however you want to do. You can go back and get all that, all the outlines, all those things are up there for you. You can just go, go access them anytime you want to from your own home. And if anyone has, does not know that churches actually podcast, and there are all kinds of churches who podcast, we are one of them. We podcast our Wednesday, we podcast our Sunday. And if you need help setting that up, you would like to be at home and be able to hear sermons or hear things about the Word uh, from home, uh, before you leave, talk to us because we have people that are set up to help you whether you have an Android device or an iPhone. We're going to be able to help you out either way and we'll set you up so that you can get these things not only from here but other churches as well and get them for free and have the, have the Word of God that you can hear during the, the regular, base, uh, regular part of the week as well. But if you want to go back there and get those things. But here we're talking about things that are in the hands of God. How do I pray and ask God for things that are in His hands? We have three areas we're going to be covering in this, story, in this series. One, how to pray for things that are in the hands of other people. Two, how to pray for things that are in the hands of God. And three, the things that are already in our hands. There's nothing worse than when your kids can come up and ask you for things you've already given them. How can you give it to them again? I already gave you that. What would you do if your kids came to you every time, Mom, can I have a glass of milk? You know, if they're two years old, you want to get the glass of milk for them. How many of you want to do that? If they're three years old, four years old, you want to get the glass of milk for them. But when they get to be eight years old, ten years old, and they come to you, Mom, I need a glass of milk. How many of you want them to go in the, in the refrigerator and get the glass of milk on their own? Hey, it's here. Here's the cups. Here's the milk. Go get it on your own. You want to keep being bothered to come on over and to take care of this. You want them to learn independence. And it's not that you don't care about them. You don't love them. You want them to learn how to get things on their own. And so you teach them how to do that. Well, God has given us things, and if we keep going to Him and asking Him for things He's already given us, then God's not raising us upright. And if you know as a parent how to do that, how much more does God? And so we've been spending some time on that. We haven't gotten to that part of it yet. We're on this part of how to pray for things that are actually in the hands of God. And the first thing we took on is, how many may have thought this this week? How many of you need direction in your life for a job, in a relationship, in uh, maybe a move, maybe, uh, who knows, there's something in your life, you, you have a question about what to do, and you're, you're asking, God, I, what, what shall I do? How should I go? Which direction should I take? And it'd be helpful if God would come and tell us, wouldn't it? How many of you can think of some times in your life where you made a bad decision? <laughs> We've all made bad decisions at one point. How much better would our life be if I never made a bad decision? How much better would your life be if you bought stock in Microsoft when it first came out? How many have ever thought, oh, I wish I would have bought stock in Apple. I wish I would have bought stock in Microsoft. I wish I would have bought stock in Intel. Somebody just buy stock in something and just seeing that all grow up and you hear all these people got rich because they bought the right stock at the right time and, and things went well for them. Well, if you knew the right decision and you made it, your life would be a whole lot better right now, wouldn't it? Most of the problems we have in our life is because we have made a bad decision. We made a bad decision about a job. We made a bad decision about a relationship. We made a bad decision about a home or a move or whatever it might be. We made a bad decision. How many ever made a bad decision about a car? 
bought the wrong car. Oh, man, it just messed you up. <laughs> yeah, we've had that before. Bad decisions. Bad decisions, they kind of haunt us. But if I could never make a bad decision, if I could go and just always make the right decision, always do the right thing, things would be better. And see, this is something that God will help us out with. We need direction. We need help. What is it that I am supposed to do? And one of the things in the Word of God that we can ask God for and that God has and God is willing to share with us is direction, is help. He is willing to counsel us. He is willing to talk with, with us. He is willing to help us. Last week, we took a look at Jehoshaphat and Jehoshaphat, one of the great kings of the southern tribes of Judah, was going into war, going into battle, and he, uh, he had asked, he said, can we inquire of the Lord? He already committed himself. I'm going to go into battle with you. But then he said, can we inquire of the Lord? And see what the Lord says on this. And so they called for all the prophets and they were false prophets and they were given a false message. He said, is there not a prophet of the Lord here? And so they brought in Micaiah. Micaiah came in and he gave them the whole spiel of what was going on. And despite the fact that the Lord said this is not going to end well, Jehoshaphat went into battle anyway. Now I'm skipping over a whole lot of details because uh, we want to spend time getting into what's going on here today. But here we're going to take a look at another situation where people ask God for direction. God, I want you to tell us what it is that you wanted us to do. And they're actually going to say this. No matter what you tell us to do, no matter how hard it is, no matter how difficult it is, we will do it. That's what they're going to say. Let's take a look at this. In Jeremiah chapter 41, and I put up your, your top of your outline there, Jeremiah 40, 41, 42, 43, and 44. We are not going over all those chapters. <laughs> but that's the whole story. And if you want to go back and read all that, we're going to just kind of give you the summary. Here in Jeremiah 40 and Jeremiah 41, uh, Babylon had come down and conquered Jerusalem and taken away the captives, burned the city, knocked down the walls, all that sort of thing. And then they put, came and they took a governor and put that governor over top of Jerusalem and that they were going to rule over these people. And so some people didn't like that. And so they rose up and they killed him. They killed Gedaliah, who was the guy who they had put in charge. And so all of the children of Israel is now nervous because Babylon put this guy in charge and we had some people who rose up and killed him. Now I know they're going to be mad with us and they're going to come down and they're going to kill us. They're going to wipe us out because of this that has happened. We didn't do it. We didn't want it done, but this is what's going on. And so here we pick up in Jeremiah chapter 42, verse 1. Now all the captains of the forces, Johanan, the son of Korea, Jezaniah, the son of Hashiah, and all the people from the least to the greatest came near and said to Jeremiah the prophet, please let our petition be acceptable to you and pray for us to the Lord your God for all this remnant since we are left but a few of the many, as you can see, that the Lord your God may show us the way in which we should walk and the thing we should do. All right, there's your prayer. How many of you have ever prayed this? Lord, show me the way. Show me the way that I should walk. Show me the way in which I should go. Because if God shows you the way, it'll be a good way. If God shows you the job, it'll be a good job. If God shows you the car, if God shows you the house, if you walk into the house and you have the peace of God about this house, that's, that's better than a home inspection. That's God telling you this is good. That's what you want to have. Show us the way in which we should go. Verse 4, Then Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard, indeed, I will pray to the Lord your God according to your words, and it shall be that whatever the Lord answers you, I will declare it to you. I will keep nothing back from you. So they said to Jeremiah, Now look at this. 
Let the Lord be a true and faithful witness between us if we do not do according to everything which the Lord your God sends us by you. Whether it is pleasing or displeasing, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we will send you, that it may be well with us and we will obey the voice of the Lord our God. Now, sometimes we read the Bible and we have a hard time putting ourselves into the situation so we can understand it. So I'm going to try and put this in another way so that you can understand it. Imagine you being a child or imagine your child coming to you and saying this to you. Mom or dad, I am not sure where I should go to college. I am not sure. Here's a real big one. I am not sure if I should date this boy or this girl. So I am going to come to you and I would like you to pray and seek after God. And whatever God tells you, I will do it. All right. Can anybody imagine that happening? (laughs) Can you imagine your child coming up to you and saying, uh, Mom, I want to date this boy. I want to date this girl, but I'm not sure that God is in on that. I'm not sure that this is going to be a good thing. Will you pray and seek after God for it? And whether they tell you good or bad, I'll I'll listen. I'll do it. Whether I like it or whether I don't like it, I will do it. How many of you ever heard that before? I didn't think so. That's the situation that we're facing here. This is what they're saying. They're coming to their dad, Father God. And they're saying this to him. They're saying what's going on. Now you see, you come to parents, then parents are fallible. But they're coming to the infallible God. And they're asking God. See, sometimes if, if our, our kids come and ask us, well, we can have a preconceived idea. And that can hinder us from giving the true word. But this is God. This is God saying this. And this is God they're coming to. And they're saying, God, whatever you tell us to do, we're here. We didn't have anything to do with this, this one on. We're just kind of victim to what's happened. Whatever you say to do, whatever you say to do, we're going to go ahead and do it. Now, if you don't have kids, put it to you this way. What if you went into your boss and you said to your boss, Boss, I've been working to you for 10 years. For 10 years I have worked for you. I think I've learned a lot. I've become an invaluable employee to you. And uh, we haven't had a raise in 10 years. And I just want to let you know that if you see fit to give me a raise, that's great. If you see fit to reduce my salary, that's fine. Whatever you see fit to do, I accept it. How many of you would do that? (laughs) We wouldn't do that. Why? Because we don't trust them. We don't trust the boss to hear. But you see, sometimes, folks, we're not trusting God. And I don't know that I can trust God that He has my best interest. What if God's trying to keep something from me? What if God is trying to hold me back from going in a direction? What if God is, is... standing in the way of what I want. But here these people came and they said, whatever you say, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's pleasing to us or whether it's displeasing to us, whatever it is that you say, we will do it. Can you imagine giving that kind of thing to your boss? Whatever you say, I will do it. Can you imagine saying that to anyone? Whatever you say, I will do it. That's a lot of trust, isn't it? That's what they're saying. They don't really mean it, but that's what they're saying. Let's go on. 
And it happened after ten days that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. And then he called Jehanan, the son of Korea, all the captains of the forces which were with him, and all the people, from the least even to the greatest, and said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your petition before him. If you will still remain in this land, then I will build you and not pull you down. I will plant you and not pluck you up. For I relent concerning the disaster that I have brought upon you. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. Do not be afraid of him, says the Lord, for I am with you to save you and deliver you from his hand. And I will show you mercy that he may have mercy on you and cause you to return to your own land. So that's the word. Don't go anywhere. Stay right here. Stay right here. I am going to preserve you. I am going to... Don't be afraid of the king of Babylon whom you are already afraid. Don't be afraid of him. God has given you the word. And he's saying, don't, don't be afraid of this. What would happen if God came to you and spoke to you and said, don't be afraid of whatever it is that you're afraid of. Don't be afraid of making this mistake. Don't be afraid of making this step. What if God told that to you? What would, what would happen to you? Think of something that you're afraid of. Think of something that is, that is going on with, with you. I heard this story of a little boy. A little boy, and they were in the rural area. And um, during this time, you know, not everybody had everything. And so the, a neighbor had an iron. And so he, she asked her son, he said, son, will you go next door? And you know, it was a rural area. It wasn't like you just walked a, a few steps. You had, a, you had to go a little ways to get there. So he said, will you go over to the neighbor and will you buy or borrow their iron? And so he tells the story. He says, so I, I went to the neighbor and I was getting this iron. He says, and, and one of the things that I was afraid of, one of the things that I had a fear of because people would talk to me about the black racer snake. I don't know what a black racer snake is. I've never heard of a black racer snake. But that's what he was afraid of. He said, people would tell him about this black racer snake and what this black racer snake would do is it would hide in the rocks. It would hide in the weeds alongside of the road. And when it would see you come, it would get behind you and it would chase after you until it got you. And so uh, he was looking all over. He's going over the neighborhood. He's looking for these black racer snakes. I just know they're going to jump out. I just know they're going to jump out and get me. And he went over and he, he got the iron. He borrowed the iron and he's on his way home. And he's still looking out for the black racer snakes. Looking at, where's the black racer? I know they're around here. I don't want them to sneak up on me. So he keeps looking around. All of a sudden, one time he looks behind him and he sees behind him a black racer snake rising up and getting ready to bite him. So he, with everything he had, he took off and he ran. He ran with everything that he had to get home as fast as he could. And he just ran and ran and ran. And when he finally got home, he is exhausted. He is tired. He put everything into that run home and he turns around and found out that the black racer snake was still there. Because it was the cord to the iron. <laughs> See, sometimes, folks, we are afraid of things. We have built up fear. But there's really nothing there to be afraid of. And what God is saying to them is, you're afraid of the black racer snake behind you. But I'm here to tell you, it's not there. Don't be afraid. The king of Babylon is not coming over. He is not going to do you any harm. He's not going to hurt you. So that's the word that was delivered. Verse 13, But if you say we will not dwell in the land, he's still speaking, Dis disobey, disobeying the voice of the Lord your God, saying, No, but we will go to the land of Egypt where we shall see no war. 
nor hear the sound of the trumpet, nor be hungry, nor uh, for bread. And there we will dwell. Then hear now the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, if you wholly set your faces to enter Egypt and to go there and dwell there, then it shall be that the sword which you feared shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt. And famine of which you were afraid shall follow close after you there in Egypt. And there you shall die. See, sometimes we are afraid of things and we're, if you go here, it won't be there. And we find out when we went there, it was even worse. And that's what God is saying. If you stay here in the land of Israel and obey my voice, it won't follow you. But if you go to Egypt, it will follow you. What you are fearing is going to come that way. I'm going to send Nebuchadnezzar on down there and he's going to take over Egypt and he's going to come and you're going to fall to the sword. Verse 16, Then it shall be that the sword which you feared shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt. The famine of which you were afraid shall follow close after you there in Egypt and there you shall die. So shall it be with all the men who set their faces to go to Egypt to dwell there. They shall die by the sword, by famine, by pestilence and none of them shall remain or escape from the disaster that I will bring upon them. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, as my anger and my fury have been poured out on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so will my fury be poured out on you when you enter Egypt, and you shall be and you shall be an oath, an astonishment, a curse, and a reproach, and you shall see this place no more. So then he gives them a warning. Because he knows they didn't just come and ask God for direction. They had already had a plan. In their mind, they had already had a plan. And we see that very clearly here in the next verse, 19. The Lord has said concerning you, O remnant of Judah, do not go to Egypt, but certainly, and know certainly that I have admonished you this day. For you were hypocrites in your hearts when you sent me to the Lord your God, praying, saying, pray for us to the Lord our God. And according to all that the Lord your God says, so declare to us and we will do it. And I have this day declared it to you, but you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord your God or anything which he has sent you by me. Now therefore know certainly that you shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence in the place where you desire to go to dwell. So what he is telling them is this. You sent me to the Lord to ask him, and you said no matter what he says, we will do it. But in your mind, you had already made up your mind that you were going to go to Egypt because you were afraid of the king of Babylon. And that fear has caused you to take a course of action. We will go down to Babylon. We will go down to Egypt because Babylon does not control things down there. So we will go down to Egypt and there we will be safe. And in their mind, they told themselves, we will be safe, it will be good. See, this is what we have done many times. We're in a job and we, something's going on, we don't like that job. And so it comes to us, we say, I, if I get a new job, I know it will be better. I know it will be better. And it's not from God that we get the new job. We're just, I know it will be better because I don't like this job. And so we, we set out and we say, God, I want your direction on where, what job I should go to. And God hasn't even said to move to a job to begin with. Understand this, folks. If you are in a job that God led you to and it's gone south and it's not going that well, don't leave that job until God says to. Because you don't know what's going on. You don't know how it's going to work. I've told you the story of a job I had. God led me to the job. God told me to go in there and take that job. I went in there. I took that job, pursued that job. Took, took a little while before I got it. Got that job. Got in there and was not happy. All kinds of stuff was going on. Immorality going on around that place. Uh, drugs were being dealt in the back. The manager of the place was dealing drugs. And I thought, I, just, I'm, I don't want to be around all this sort of stuff. I must have missed God 
and taking the wrong job. But I didn't have God's direction to leave. I had God's direction to go. I didn't have God's direction to leave. So I stayed. And all of a sudden, things changed. The area general manager came in and fired that manager. And things began to turn. We got a new manager in. Do you know the manager who came in uh, was back in, this is back in the early 80s. I mean, you can think back to the early 80s. <laughs> back in the early 80s, a new supervisor came in and took over that store. And I was there and I was working with her. And she came on in. And do you know that to this day, I am still in contact with that person? Still get to, get to um, thank God for Facebook for that. We still get to swap pictures and, and do things. And she tells me about the things that God's doing in her life because she got born again. She didn't come in when I came, when I knew her. She wasn't born again, but she's born again now. <laughs> Glory to God. In a church doing good, doing some good things. And she lets me know every once in a while what's happening, what's, what's going on there. There was a number of people that because I stayed there, they turned their lives around. They got born again. And they're still in churches. One guy, he's still in church, still in church today. And he tells me, he says, we have the Sunday school. We don't even do it in church. We do it outside of church under a bridge somewhere. And kids come and they learn about the Word of God. And he says, Steve, it is amazing. I heard these words from him. He said, it is amazing to tell children the Bible stories and watch them hear it for the first time. Now, see, if I would have left, he may not have made that, that turn. But see, you can't follow your own voice. You have to follow, follow the voice of God. I needed to stick it, out, stick it out. And I did stick it out. And it became the best job I'd ever had up until that point. It became a job I looked forward to going. I couldn't wait to go in. I looked forward to going in so, so much. I have spent 18 hours in that place. Went in there early in the morning and didn't come out until early the next day. And just, uh, but just loved it. Loved working at the job. No matter where you are, if God has not told you to leave it, if God has not told you to move on, you stay there because God has a way of turning things around. Listen to Him. No matter what it is. It might be a relationship. If God leads you into it, don't you let circumstances lead you out. Don't let that happen. You stay with what God has led you into because God has a way of turning things around. Oh, He can turn things around. I can give you cases all over the place in the Word of God where God turned things around, but He can turn your situation around. So I've gone to God many times with this. said, God, you led me into doing this. You didn't leave me out of this, but you led me into doing this. And it's, it's not fun right now. And I'm not enjoying myself. And I'm having a hard time. But you led me here. Therefore, it's up to you to turn it around. Tell me what I need to do. But I'm staying put because you told me to stay here. You told me to come here. You told me to do this particular thing. And you stay with it. And I'll tell you what, it'll turn around. Later on, God led me to another job when I came back into this area. That was area was out in Oklahoma. This area was, was over here and God led me to another job. I thought it would be the greatest job in the world. Took it, and for three months, it seemed like the worst job I had ever had in my life. It was tough. It was terrible. It was not fun. And God turned it around. That it then became the best job I ever had in my life. And I almost cried when I left. I was sad. But God told me to, to leave that and, and to go on. Just because something is hard does not mean it's not God. Just because it's hard for you to get along with your spouse doesn't mean that it's not God. Just because your kids are difficult doesn't mean they are not from God. Just because your job is going through a bit of a tough time right now, it does not mean that where you are is not from God. All it means is you need some help. Ask God for some direction. Oh, he'll give it to you. He gave it to these folks. He said, you stay put. Don't go to Egypt. You've already put this in your mind. 
we're going to go to Egypt. Because you see, the fear had already come in. They saw this thing that happened and they perceived, they imagined bad things happening. Have you ever perceived or imagined bad things happening? How many sports fans do we have? How many, how many people like to watch sports? How many people do not care to watch sports? All right, you all can tune out for a little bit. <laughs> how many times you're watching your team, whoever your team might be. Your team might be a football team. Your team might be a hockey team. Your team might be a basketball team. You're getting ready for that team to come on. And in your mind, how many of you have imagined all kinds of bad things happening? Oh, I just know this game isn't going to go well. I can just, uh, how many remember, um, what was it, a week ago? Philadelphia Eagles were playing the Denver Broncos. And how many people imagined the defense of the Denver Broncos doing horrible things to the Eagles off? How many imagined that? Come on. How many imagine? I can imagine the Denver Broncos, they had a good defense. Good defense. And I can imagine them doing terrible things to our, our guys on the offensive side. We can imagine it. We made a trade. And we got a new running back. How many imagine there could be some bad things happening from this running back? And instead, we saw good things. And the Eagles offense put up more points on the Denver Broncos defense than they had seen. How many, how many years was it? Do you know? I, I remember hearing, you're nine, you're having thinking, maybe he knows. I know I saw it. It's been years. It's been a long time since anybody racked up that many points. But we could imagine it, couldn't we? We could imagine. Some, of us, some people didn't even want to turn on the game because I just know it's not going to go well. This defense is so good. And we imagine things. But it didn't happen that way. The game went on and five of the first six possessions that the Eagles had the ball, they scored. Five of the first six possessions, they scored. You see, but we could imagine things. And see, just like it happens in sports, it happens in your life. And the devil comes and he gets you to imagine things about your spouse. He gets you to perceive things about your kids. He gets your imagination working on what's happening at work. What's going to happen with your job? He gets your imagination working and you begin to think things. I better get this. and I better do this. I better... And we begin to come into fear. And we begin to step to, to strike out a plan of what we're going to do. But instead, we need to go to God and say, God, this is the job I have. You are blessing my family through this job. And I thank you for this job. Now, there's some things that are going on. I'm perceiving some things going on. Is this perception from you or is this perception from the enemy? Because what they were perceiving about going down to Egypt and what they were perceiving about the king of Babylon doing was all wrong. It was not going to happen. And God told them it would not happen. But they didn't believe it. And they didn't stay with it. What is the enemy trying to tell you right now about your life? What's he telling you about your spouse? What's he telling you about your kids? What's he telling you about your job? What's he telling you about anything that's going on in your life? Is it developing fear? Are you forming an action in your own mind based on that fear? It's exactly what Israel's going through right here. And the word of the Lord came to him and says, Look, you guys are hypocrites because you sent me to God, but you already got it in your mind what you want to do can't do that you can't already have it in your mind what you want to do you got to listen to god and god whatever you say whatever you say i'm willing to do it i'm willing to go
So before they even were able to answer, Jeremiah told them, he said, this is your heart condition. This is where you're at. Verse 1 of chapter 43. Now it happened when Jeremiah had stopped speaking to all the people, all the words of the Lord their God for which the Lord their God had sent him to them, all these words that Azariah, the son of Hoshiah, Johanan, the son of Kareah, and all the proud men spoke, saying to Jeremiah, You speak falsely. The Lord our God has not sent you to say, Do not go to Egypt to dwell there. But Baruch, the son of Neriah, has sent you against us to deliver us into the hand of the Chaldeans that they may put us to death or carry us away captive to Babylon. Whenever a word comes to you, whenever direction comes to you from God that is contrary to what you want to do, that is contrary to what your fears are telling you, then rationalization will come as to why you should not listen to it. Something will come to try and put down the source. Something will come that cause you to doubt it. Something will come up and, and, and bring questions instead of obedience. And this is where we get into trouble. This is what they said. You speak falsely. Now look at this. How long did it take? How long did Jeremiah spend in prayer seeking the Lord to find out what the Lord said? Ten days. How long did it take them to determine that what he said was false? Ten seconds. Ten days the man of God spends getting the word from God. Ten seconds they've, they've already thrown it out. That's not good, right? You speak falsely, it says. Now, the Word of God, the voice of His Spirit, even others, these are the things that God's going to speak to you. He is going to speak direction to you from the Word of God. He is going to speak direction to you in the voice of His Spirit that comes up on the inside of you. Now, you can raise your hand on this or not raise your hand, whatever you wish to do. But how many of you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Accept that Jesus Christ is your Savior, that Jesus Christ is your Lord. If that's the case, folks, you don't have to ask, you don't have to wonder. The Spirit of God resides down on the inside of you. The Spirit of God resides on the inside of you. I don't care how mature you are, I don't care how much you've grown. If you have turned your life over to God, the Spirit of God resides on the inside of you. And that Spirit will speak to you and give you direction. His Word will speak to you. His Spirit will speak to you. And you'll hear it from others as they heard it from Jeremiah. Now the reason that they doubt is because of their own weakness. They have a weakness that's on the inside of them. Now, this came to me when I think about weakness. Now, if you are a born-again believer, you ought to be getting the word somehow. If you're getting no word, then don't wonder why your life's in the shambles. If you, if you went to the doctor and you showed up to the doctor and says, doctor, doctor says, tell me what's wrong. And you say, I don't know. I am weak all the time. I just don't have any energy. <coughs> I, just, I keep getting sick. Uh, I'm losing weight. Uh, it's just not going well for me, doc. And the doc says... Well, tell me about your diet. What are you eating? I'm not eating anything at all. How many of you could give that person counsel? What is, what's their problem? 
They're not eating. You got to be eating. You need to be, as a believer, you need to be eating the word. You need to be eating, getting the word of God in you, worshiping the Lord. You need to do the things that feed your spirit, just like you do the things that feed your body. That's what we got to do. So I'm going to assume that at least you're you're getting something. Most Christians ought to be at least doing something. But here's the problem. Here's the thing that keeps us weak in the things of God. And it's the same thing in the natural. If you went to the doctor and he says, what are you eating? Well, I am eating, doc. I eat three times a day. Okay, describe, the, describe breakfast for me. Well, for breakfast, I have Twinkies. Well, what do you have for lunch? I have ding-dongs. Uh, what, what do you do for dinner? Ice cream? Now, we can tell right away, this person is not eating healthy, right? How many, how many, how many Twinkie fans do we have out there? I am not a Twinkie fan. You put one in front of me, I don't even want to touch it. But Tasty Cakes, that's another thing. I mean, they're Philadelphia beside that, but I mean, come on, they're Tasty Cakes. They're not Twinkies. So I have to restrict myself. Well, how many Oreo cookies? How many Oreo cookie fans here? Love Oreo cookies. Mm-hmm. Well, they have some milk. And I am not a dipper. If you like to dip your Oreo cookies, that's fine. I don't dip mine. I'm a purist. But you see, Oreo cookies are nice, but you can't survive on them, right? You've got to go out there and you've got to have some vegetables. You've got to do some other things to, 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 to spruce up your diet. You've got to have a well-rounded diet. Otherwise, that's why you're not healthy. Here's the thing, folks. Put this in your outline for you. The word we hear, if we are eating, the word we hear could be weak. The Word of God calls it milk. Paul exhorts the Corinthians, you should, be, you should be more mature, but instead I have to give you milk. I have to give you milk. It's, it's a weaker word. It won't develop you that much. I mean, milk is good, but you can't live off of it. When you're an infant, you can, but um, you need to grow up and, and get some solid food. He says, yes, you ought to be eating. You ought to be eating solid food. There can be weak. It could be wrong. It could be the wrong word. You could get the word of God and, oh, that's it for me, but it's wrong. And it's distracting. It's sending you in the wrong direction. It's not, it's not the word that's meant for your situation. Or here's the other one, dysfunctional. It might be false. See, Twinkies are dysfunctional. That's false food. There's nothing good inside of a Twinkie that will help you develop. That's a reward. You should have a Twinkie or a Twisty Cake or, or something like that as a reward for eating a good meal. That's why they call it dessert. You have it at the end. After you have a good meal, then you have dessert. We don't start off with dessert, right? Dessert is the reward. If your kids eat good, what do you give them? If you eat all that on your plate, you can have a... And fill in the blank. But it's the reward for having done what they needed to do. And so you treat it as that. The word that we're getting with folks a lot of times is weak, it's wrong, or it's dysfunctional. It's not helping us out. They won't produce the strength that you need to, to hear and obey. I didn't get this in your outline. If you want to write this down, you can. Only the strong obey. Only the strong obey. I'll give you a physical example. If you were, how many have ever had a physical, a, a, a physical trainer? Someone who, who trained you physically on weights or trained you physically on diet or trained you physically to get you in shape? How many have ever had someone... It don't have to be a professional. It might be a friend. Someone who came along who knew more about it than you did. Anybody have someone like that? My word, we have a church full of unfit people. 
I've had them in my life. I've had coaches. I've had fellow uh, runners who, who uh, helped me out. I've had other people that come in my life that, that speak things to me. I had a, a, person, a personal trainer who would come in and he would tell me how to lift weights, what to do, how I was doing it wrong to help me get going, help me to get stronger, to do things that would become, that I would become strong. But if the physical trainer came up to you and said, all right, I want you to do 10 push-ups, 10 push-ups, how many think you might struggle with that? Honest people. All right. We're not in shape, but we are honest. That's good. <laughs> we, I might struggle with that. Because who can do 10 push-ups? Someone who's strong enough to do that. Now, someone who's in real good shape, they're doing what? 100? 150? They're doing things like... When I was, uh, when I was really going at it, you know, I didn't, I didn't mess, waste time on sit-ups. Wait, sit-ups are a waste of time. You've got to do like a thousand of them to get any good. I would do inverted sit-ups. Anybody seen inverted sit-ups? Inverted sit-ups, you hang upside down. And they got to be too simple to me, so I started doing them with weights. And so I eventually got out to the place where I would start off my, my workout just for the abs would be I would hang upside down and grab a 50-pound weight and do as many sit-ups as I could, inverted sit-ups, with the 50-pound weight. And that would be somewhere between around 10 to 12 of those I could do. And then I would grab a 40-pound weight, and then I would do that. And then I would grab a 30-pound weight, and I would do that. And then I would grab a 20-pound weight, and then a 10-pound weight. And then I would finally get down to where I was just doing it without any weights at all. And by that time, I was somewhere in the area of 100, 120 inverted sit-ups that I did with weights. And then I would start my abdominal workout. Then I would start it. Now, you see, you couldn't do that unless there was a certain amount of strength there, right? What we have to understand as Christians is you cannot do what God says if you are weak. You need to be strong. God is going to call on you for some obedience. God is going to call for you to do some things. I'll give you some examples of what God will call you to do. God may say, I want you to love your wife. Some of you right now looking over there, do what? I want you to honor your husband. Come again. I want you to believe the best in your children. Oh, I didn't hear that right. Right? Because only the strong can do this. But these are things that the Word of God says. The Word of God exhorts husbands to love their wives. The Word of God exhorts wives to honor their husbands. The Word of God exhorts us to believe the best in all. But this is what the Word of God is telling us to do. What the Word of God tells you to do takes some strength. And a lot of times, folks, we have not developed the strength to do what we need to do. What is God asking you to do? God wants to ask you to do more. God wants you not only to to love your wife and honor your husband and believe the best in your kids. He's going to ask you to do more. But if God asks you to do it, you're going to have success at it. He's going to get you ready for this. God wants you to do things on your job. What would happen if on your job you became invaluable? What if at at your job there were things that happened that only you could do? They wouldn't get rid of you. Exactly. They would not get rid of you. If God could show you how on your job to do things that no one else can do. Who are they going to get rid of first? Somebody else. When it comes time for a raise, who are they going to give the raise to? 
the person who's doing things that no one else can do. But you see, we're not asking God to help us do the impossible. We're not asking God to help us become more productive. We're asking God, says, oh God, I just want to get through this day. But God wants you to do more. He wants you to soar in this life. And if you ask God, He will help you how to become on your job the one they cannot do without. When they sit on down and say, who can we do without? Well, we, <laughs> we need this one. I mean, what do we got to do to keep that one around? Maybe we could give them a raise. How about if we offer them more vacation time? Yeah. This all sounds good, right? God has a way to bring you into this. God has a way to do it. God has a way to change your marriage around. God has a way to change your family around. God has a way to change your work around. God has a way to change your neighborhood around. God has a way to change all kinds of things around. But you have to, first off, be willing to listen to him, to do the difficult things, and be strong so that when God says, I need you to do 15 push-ups, you're ready to drop and give him 15 push-ups. You're ready to drop and give him 50 push-ups. You're ready to do whatever it is that he needs to do because you have built up your strength. How are you going to do that? Get into the Word of God and don't just keep taking the milk. A lot of times we sit on there and we read the words and... Uh, all right, I read, my, I read my chapter today. Now I'm going to go on. Or here's our prayer. Father God, I pray that you bless me. Uh, I, I pray that I'm safe. I pray that everything goes good today. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. That's a weak prayer. But God wants to show you how to, how to pray even better. How to get even stronger. In the minds of these people, they've decided what Babylon will do and it's made them afraid. Babylon has not sent that they're going to do this. It's something that they imagine. It's something that they fear. I put this in your outline for you so you can take this home with you. Bad decisions come from what we fear, perceive falsely, or our wrong desires. Now, you see this all the time. How many like to watch Hallmark? All right, we'll pray for the rest of you. I mean, come on. If you want to see a nice, wholesome movie, and you know what? They're starting Christmas movies up. I love going on the Hallmark station. Hit record, 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 record. I think I recorded four or five of them from last night at all. You know, we'll eventually get in there and be able to watch them. I love Hallmark movies because nothing bad goes on in them. <laughs> Nobody's saying wrong words, and nobody, nothing you've got to filter out, nothing like that. But how many times have you watched a Hallmark movie we're watching that thing come on, and other ones as well, but you watch them come on, and you're watching, because it's all Hallmark, every single Hallmark movie starts off this way. The girl is with the wrong guy. Right? The girl is with the wrong guy, then the right guy comes along, and it takes her the entire movie to figure out that this is the right guy. But then once she figures out it's the right guy, a problem will come out. And she will get mad at the right guy. And then somewhere along the line, that will be straightened out. Isn't that every single Hallmark movie, that's it right there. We still watch them. (laughs) I still watch them. I know exactly how it's going to go out. I know exactly how it's going to play. But that's all right. I still watch them. We were watching one last night. It was a fun one. Took a little different twist on it, but the same thing. Girls with the wrong guy. Right guy comes along. Girl gets mad at the right guy. They come back together and everything's fine. It was a fun movie. 
I enjoyed it. But here's what happened. And you tell me this doesn't go on. The right girl sees the right guy doing something and decides that what he did was dishonest and it broke her trust or something along those lines. Isn't that right? You're watching the whole movie. You say, he didn't do that. He didn't do that. That's not what happened. You almost want to shout at him. That's not what happened. Go talk to him. And so how many of you all watched it? And she goes. She goes and she talks to him. She's sitting there. She's talking to him. And she's not hearing. Not listening. He's trying to say, hey, I'm sorry. This is what went on. No, no, no. Because we have perceived. We have understood what is going on. This is what we've done with our life. When God comes to us and he tries to tell us, this is what's going on. We say, no, no, no. No, no, no. This is what happened. I saw it. I perceived it. This is what's going on. We do the same thing, folks. We've done it over and over again. We don't need to do this. Don't fall into the wrong perception. Verse 4. So Jehanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces and all the people would not obey the voice of the Lord to remain in the land of Judah. But Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces took all the remnant of Judah who had returned to dwell in the land of Judah from all nations where they had been driven. Men, women, children, kings, daughters, and every person with Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had left with Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, and Jeremiah, the prophet, and Baruch, the son of Neriah. So they went to the land of Egypt, for they did not obey the voice of the Lord, and they went as far as Tephanes. So they took Jeremiah with them, said, we're going, and you're coming with us, and they basically picked him up and forced him along the way. I put this in your outline for you. Bringing good people into a bad way will not make the way better, nor alter its destination. That doesn't mean they weren't good people that you brought along. Well, he's going to go on, he's going to tell them some more things. And he's going to make more prophecies about them. That we're not going to be, be good. And you can go on and you can read some of those if, if you like to. But here's one of the things that had, uh, had gone on with this. Is that the children of Israel were heading over into the land of Egypt. And the children of Israel began to worship false gods. They may have already been doing it in the land of Judah. But they began to do it in the land of Egypt. In chapter 44, it spoke about a whole lot of that. In verse 15, it says, Then all the men who knew that their wives had burned incense to other gods with all the women who stood by a great multitude and all the people who dwelt in the land of Egypt and Pathros answered Jeremiah, saying, As for the word that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you. But we will certainly do whatever has gone out of our own mouth to burn incense to the Queen of Heaven and pour out drink offerings to her. How many have ever heard that phrase, Queen of Heaven? Queen of Heaven is actually fairly involved in our society here today. If w- Next week we have the end times class and in that end times class we actually show you from the book of Genesis where this Queen of Heaven and a false religion that has been around since the book of Genesis that will continue until the time of the tribulation when it is put to death. But uh, that's for another, another time. But anyway, they were worshiping the Queen of Heaven. As for the word that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you. Can you imagine that? You spoke this this to us in the name of the Lord, but we're not going to listen. We are not going to listen to you. We will do whatever has gone out of our mouth. How many of you have said things with your mouth 
and then the Lord, word of the Lord came to you different, but you've already said it with your mouth. I am going to leave that job. You said it with your mouth. Even though the word of the Lord may come to you and says, don't leave. I'm going to do what I said with my mouth instead of what the Lord of God said. Whatever it is we've talked about leaving, when the word of God comes to us, we're not ready to hear. And that's where these people were. And they were worshiping false gods and false things. Back over here in verse 18. But since we stopped burning incense to the queen of heaven and poured out drink offerings to her, we have lacked everything and have been consumed by the sword and by famine. The woman also said, and we burned incense to the queen of heaven and poured out drink offerings to her. Did we make cakes for her to worship her and pour out drink offerings to her without our husband's permission? Basically saying this, when we did things like worship of the false idols, when we did things, things were better for us. Now, Jeremiah is going to come back with this and he's going to say, when you worship these things, your entire city was burned. Your walls were knocked down. Your houses were destroyed. You're going to say it was better? But you see, they remembered it differently. We can remember the things that have gone on in our past, the things we've done that were wrong. And sometimes we remember them in a, in a bad way. I'll, I'll show it to you this way. How many of you became dissatisfied with your spouse and began to think of a certain person that you dated who was a whole lot better. Why is that? Because we remember things as we want to. There's a reason that you and that person broke up, isn't there? But we don't always remember that. And the enemy tries to get us to go back. Think about this. There's a reason why you left the job you had before. And there's a reason you went on to the job you have now. But sometimes we forget those things. God doesn't want you to forget. When we do, we're in a, in a place of pride. I'm going to do it my way. My way. What I perceive is right. And we become very proudful. And we can't approach God that way. We've got to be humble when we come before Him. Our ways, our needs, our thoughts, our understanding all take precedent over God because our heart is set on doing what we... And get these three things... Our heart is set on doing what we see, what we perceive, and what I understand. What we see, what we perceive, and understand. And I am not willing to hear from him because his perception is on a different level. Well, his viewpoint is on a different level. It's just like you when you're sitting there watching a Hallmark movie. You've seen the whole picture and your advice is great. But you can't get it over to that person because they're only seeing it from their own place. I was hurt. I was lied to. I was deceived. You did this to me. We can't see it from the big picture. I put it in your outline there. This is for you to read at home if you want to. To set your hearts. These are some verses of Scripture that talk about setting your hearts on the good things, on the good direction. But here's one more thing I want to leave with you. Asking direction from God for anything we have already received direction Four is the beginning of disobedience. If you've already asked God for direction and He's led you into a marriage, He's led you into a job, He led you into buying a house, He led you into a neighborhood, He led you into whatever situation you're in. If you have already asked God, God, what should I do? And God has given you direction and you have followed that direction. If you go back to God and say, God, should I stay married to this person? God, should I keep these kids? Well, you, don't, you can't quite do that one, can you? 
God, should I stay in this job? Whenever we go back to God and we ask God questions about what He has already given us direction for, it is the beginning of disobedience. You go through the Word of God. Do that when you get home. When you get home, start in the book of Genesis, read through the book of Revelation. won't take you long at all. Read through the whole thing and you will find out that God is not in the habit of repeating Himself. He expects that what He says to you that you hang on to and you remember. So here's a question for you folks. What has God spoken to you that you're now doing? What are you involved with that God has given you His voice on? And He said, do this. When you got married, did, did you have the hand of God? Did God say? Um, just, just a sidelight here. It might be that some people got married to somebody and God's hand wasn't in it. You know, the Word of God has advice for you. If you got married when you were unsaved and then got saved and you're not looking at that person saying, I don't know if God wants me to be married to you. <laughs> the Word of God has a real good answer for that. Go over to Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul says, now concerning the things that you wrote to me about. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You see, they had written to him some things because when Paul went in there and taught them some stuff, he was teaching people who that they believed that there was uh, sex for recreation outside of marriage and marriage was only to have sex for kids. That was their lifestyle. And so Paul came in there and taught them the gospel and says, no, the person you're married to is it. And they looked over there and says, huh? Are you kidding me? And so they wrote him a letter and they said, uh, Paul, about this, because <laughs> this is a whole lifestyle change for us. We are not used to this and I could tell you the whole details of their lifestyle that they had, but we're not going to do that here in church. This is, this is different. What about this? And so he said, now concerning the things that you wrote to me about, he said, it's best off, first off, if you don't have, if, if you just stay like I am, single. How many have ever thought that? <laughs> yeah, you're not alone. Paul said, it's best to stay like I am, single. But if you're not going to do that, if you're going to get married, if you are married, do not desire to depart from them. If you got born again and they did not, he tells them, do not desire to depart from them. If they are willing to live with you, stay in that marriage. That's what he's saying. Did you know the Word of God had an answer for that? <laughs> That's what it says. That's what it says. He says a lot more on it. We're not going to get into all that. We've gotten into it before. And I know not everybody's heard all that. The Word of God has answers, folks, for everything that we're in in life. But here's the problem. We've only gone through and we've gotten the milk of the Word. We haven't found out what the meat of the Word is. If you get into the, word, the meat of the Word, you are equipped for everything that you face in life. And there is nothing in this life that will take you by surprise. You will go at this life completely different if you go out at God's way. And here's one of those things you can do. Ask God for direction and God will speak to you and he will give you direction. What he will tell you might be hard, but he will also give you the strength to do it. And you can accomplish it. And if you will do what he says to do, the Babylonians will not come and get you. What you fear will not happen. But God will bring you through it. Because that's the God that we serve. Would you all stand up with me? Before we started the service, the teaching part of the service here, I mentioned to you, we serve a God that is a healer. It has gotten lost sometimes because we have watered down the Word of God and we have taken the milk of His Word. 
and we think that I can be healed. You tell me if you've heard this before. I can be healed as long as it's God's will. Anybody ever heard that? As long as it's God's will, I can be healed. And sometimes we even pray it this way. Lord, if it be your will, I pray that you heal me. And we've done that. And most of the time we haven't seen our situation change. We haven't seen anything get better. But I want to tell you this. That's not the will of God for you to be sick. It is not. Well, I know people that are sick. Yeah, I know people that are sick too. Folks, I've been sick before. <laughs> Being well is better. How many of you have ever taken part of communion? Anybody here? Everybody? I'm all. Communion, there's two parts to it. Isn't that right? There's the bread and there is the, the wine or the grape juice depending upon what, where you go to church. <laughs> some churches use wine. Some churches use... We're a grape juice church. We're a grape juice church right here. But I've been in churches that have wine. I can't stand wine. I, that's just me. It's just personal preference. Nothing spiritual, nothing word-oriented about it. I just don't like wine. My wife does. I can't stand it. Cook with it, it's fine. I, oh, it tastes terrible. But how many times have you been through a communion service? And we think about the blood of Jesus Christ. How many of you know we are forgiven because of the blood of Jesus Christ? The blood of Jesus Christ has been poured out and we are forgiven. I mean, you don't doubt that. We know that we are forgiven because of the blood. If I were to come to you and say, uh, if somebody were to come to you and say, I want to get born again, I want to get saved, will Jesus forgive me of my sins? How many of you will say, well, of course he will forgive you of your sins. It's his will to forgive you of his sins. Here's his blood he shed on the cross. It will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. It will clean, clean you up. How many of you all know that? That is true. All right, we know that. If the blood of Jesus Christ is all that we need to be forgiven of sins. Why is the bread involved in communion? Did you ever ask yourself that? If the blood is all we need for the forgiveness of sins, why is the bread involved at all? Why do we need the bread? And I'll, I'll complicate it even more for you. If you go back to the story where Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper... I want you to go back there and you can read it. No matter which passage you read it from, it's going to tell you the same thing. Jesus took his disciples into the upper room. And before supper, he took the bread and he broke it and gave thanks for it and gave to his disciples. And he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. And then I want you to continue on reading. And you will see that after supper, he took the cup and he said, this represents the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you. If the bread, the bread and the wine do the same thing, why is there an entire meal in between them? Go back and look at it. How many of you all know that they were not done at the same time? They were not done at the same time. They were done at different times. Before and after. It's simply because what Isaiah said. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, I am healed. Jesus did not have to be beaten for you to be forgiven. Jesus was beaten so that you could be healed. His blood was shed and his life was given so that you could be redeemed. But his body was beaten beyond what any man would have ever been beaten so that you could be healed. If Jesus went through that beating 
so that you could be healed. Same way that he gave his blood so that you could be forgiven. And you don't doubt that it's the will of God to forgive you of your sins. Why do you doubt that it's the will of God to forgive you or to heal you of your sickness and disease? As you're reading through the the Bible, because you're all going to go home and do that, I'm sure. When you get to the Gospels, you will find that many times he brought entire multitudes. And if you get into the Greek of that, a multitude is a, there's a, we're not talking about a couple hundred people. We're talking thousands of people. Thousands of people are brought to him. And the word of God always said this about it. He, and you can look it up. Go back there and look it up yourself. He healed them all. If the case was that it was God's will for some people to be sick, how is it that Jesus never ran into them? And he says of his own life, of his own ministry, I am here to do the will of who? The will of the Father. We know that he healed multitudes. How many people did Jesus ever make sick? We cannot find a single person that he made sick, but we can find multitudes that he made well. You have been sold a bill of goods that Jesus did not die for your sickness and disease and that God's will is that sometimes you'd be sick. Don't fall into that. The word of God is that you be healed. If you're here this morning and sickness or disease has gotten a hold of you, there's freedom for you. The same Jesus that healed those in the book in the Gospels. He told his disciples, you go and do likewise. And we see in the book of Acts that not only did his disciples go, but others went in the name of Jesus. And they laid hands on the sick and they recovered. Peter, it said unusual miracles were done by him. And he would walk by in the shadow of Peter, Peter would touch people and they would get healed. Because it's the will of God that you be healed. It's the will of God that you be forgiven. It's the will of God that you be healed. If you're suffering from some kind of sickness or disease, and you like hands laid on you, because that's all we're going to do is what the Word of God says, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover, it says. We want to lay hands on you. We don't want you to go out the way that you came. Because God loves you so much. It doesn't matter if you were a sinner this morning, yelling at people. <laughs> it doesn't make any difference. God is your healer. We want you just to come and receive from him the healing that he has. Brother Nikolai is going to pray. Play. If you would like prayer for sickness or disease, we'd like you to come up here to the front. We want to pray for you. you have to do to qualify. Nothing that you have to do to qualify. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory be to God. Now, as you listen to us praying over here, you'll notice the one thing we do not pray for because we follow the things that are in the Word of God. We don't ask God to heal anyone, ever. Because if you go through and you look at the, the words of Jesus, if you go through the Gospels and you look at how Jesus prayed, he's our model. There is not one single person Jesus ever prayed for to be healed. 
he always spoke to the sickness. The little girl had the fever. He spoke to the fever. He spoke to the situation. And he taught us to do that. When you have sickness and disease in your body, don't ask God, God heal me. That's wrong. Ask God. Right? Ask God nothing. Just speak to it. Sickness, you have to go. Now, now, injuries are a different thing. They don't come under sickness and disease. And we're going to spend some time in the, in the future. We're going to get in there. We already we let you know about that last week. We're going to tell you, how do you pray when you have an injury? What do you ask God for? We're going to be covering some of these things. Uh, we're going to do so much in a week. But get your, get, your, uh, get your direction going. Some of the folks that were up here, we're praying for, uh, I, I spoke to them about their words. Your words set your direction. Well, I can, how many have ever said this? I can tell this is going to be a terrible day. Yeah, why do you say that? Because things happen that set you in that motion. You begin to say this with your mouth. And what happens? You have a terrible day. Oh, I can feel a headache coming on. Anybody ever said that one? What happens? Headache comes on, doesn't it? Why? Because you set your direction. If you don't believe me, go over to the book of James and read that because James will say that the rudder of a ship, the little tiny rudder will change where a ship is going in its direction. Little tiny rudder. And he said the same thing is true of the tongue. That with our tongues we set our direction. I'm just going to speak this one out here for you too. Some of you husbands and wives think you have lost your love for the other. And you have said things like this. I don't love him. I don't love her. I don't want to be married. I don't want these kids. I don't want this future. I don't want this job. And the, the enemy has got you to set your direction with your mouth in this direction that you are following. We saw that in this story. We're going to follow the direction of our mouth, not the direction that God spoke to us. That's what it said in the story, remember? That's what it says in the book of James, too. You've got to change the direction of your mouth. How many of y'all woke up and it was cold this morning? So what do you do? You go over to the thermostat and what do you do? Turn it up. Turn it up. I did that a couple of times over here. It says, man, it still feels cold in here. Turned it up. Turned it up. I think at last I turned it up to like 73 in here. You're still got a cold on. I'm hot. <laughs> but I figured if I'm hot, hopefully somebody else is, is not, not cold. But you, you go to that thermostat and you say, we want it to be 73. So you turn the thermostat, even though it's not 73 in your house, what is it? 65, 60 with cold. You turn that thermostat because you set the direction. You do it every single day of your life. You set the direction. When you, we now have GPS on our phones. What do you say to your phone? Take me home. And what does your, home, what does your phone do? It sets a direction. With your mouth, you set your direction. For many of us, folks, we have set our wrong direction. But God will change it. We're so glad for you folks who came on out here and visited with us today. We hope you come back. We'd love to see you some more and, and get more of the Word in you. The Word of God will change your life. But not if you only feed on the milk of the Word. You've got to get into, it, into the meat because the meat is what makes you strong and it's the strength that helps you to do what God says to do. And if you do what God says to do, you will become successful at your job. You will become prosperous in your finances. Everything, the Word of God, this is the Word of God. Everything you set your hand to will be successful. That's the Word of God. 
But it doesn't just happen because you want it to. It happens because you do what the Word of God says to do. We'd love to be part of your lives and help you out with that. If you have a church that you go to and you're growing, glory to God, that's good. If you're looking for a church home, we'd love to invite you to come on out here be part of Zoe. Not only is it a church where we'll teach you the Word, folks, you've got a family here like none other, and they'd love to be part of your family. As you go, bless some people before you, you get it. I think we have, a, do we have a few more things. Anything else to go over? I can't think of anything else. We have a Wednesday. We have Wednesday. We have a midweek service. And if any of you like to come out to a midweek service but cannot drive out here on Wednesday, how many people like to go to a midweek service but you can't make the trip out on Wednesday night? Nobody. All right. Well. <laughs> okay. If you'd like to do that, we have a Facebook Live, and you can sit at home and get on Facebook, tune in on the church page, and you can watch the whole service from your home. If you'd like to be able to do that, that's great. If you are here to register for anything with the, the presents for the kids, we want you to make, my wife has the, the sign-up uh, part right there. We just need some information about your kids because we want to get some things that are really going to help them out. We want to bless them like they've never been blessed. So um, give us the opportunity to be able to do that. So uh, she has that for you over there. A couple of praise reports. Marguerite, I thank God for en- enabling me to complete my toughest project this year. Daryl says, we, uh, we received a scholarship this, uh, this week that covers one half months of tuition. One and a half months of tuition for Alicia. Praise God for that. Uh, Ray Zaff said, I thank God that I asked for wisdom about a situation I, I face currently. That wisdom was, was swift, in, swift forth in coming, and it is uh, leading me to be preferred. Is that what it said? Prepared. prepared. Gotcha. I know that situation. Glory to God for that. And then, um, uh, folks, uh, Bobby is, uh, I, was, I was talking with Bobby this week. He was saying he was, he was having a good week, but uh, apparently experiencing some dizziness and the effects from the medications uh, keep him from driving and being on out here. So be, uh, be praying for him. Give him a call. Give him some encouragement. You all know Bobby's uh, phone number. If you don't um, see one of us, we'll, we'll help you out with that. Have a great rest of the week. Next week, after church, we have, um, we're going to be covering on direction. We have more to show you in the Word of God on direction. That's going to be next Sunday. And then after church, we have the Revelation class, if anyone wants to stay for that. And the, yeah, we already went over that. Uh, we have actually two people back there with sign up. So my daughter has, has over there. And um, my wife is... is uh, over there. So we got two people for you to, to be able to do that with. Make sure you get signed up for that. We want you to be registered. Have a great week and bless some people before you go.